and all to episode 80 of the Scum and Villain podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast. We break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and joined by my co-pilot, Mr. Noah DeGeorge. After a little bit of a Thanksgiving break there, how you doing, bud? It's been a while. It's been a while. We all we all deserve a break, I think. Uh, I am recovering from a little bit of a cold, which is never fun, but it means that my voice... Uh, has it, it was like normal and then i had like mm-hmm. a harvey firestein voice uh for a little bit and i would harvey firestein is that, a, that that's his name right or is it fearstein who who are you in reference to he's he's in um he's in mrs doubtfire and he's in mulan he's the guy that's like uh I'm, my voice is like this you know, who I'm, oh, you know who I'm talking about. Oh, I know about. who you're talking about. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I thought for a second you were talking about Harvey Weinstein, nope, and I nope, was like, of nope. all of the names that, <laughs> of all the names you could be referencing. Yes, uh, no, that, uh, that man yes, that is I know who you're talking about by only his voice, Harvey I, Weinstein. I did not, I did not know that uh, Harvey Firestein is like he's one of those like that guys to me. Yes, um, I'm sure that some listeners probably know who that is. But yeah, glad to know you're not referencing sexual predator uh, Harvey yeah. Weinstein <laughs> exactly. and said beloved character actor Harvey Firestein. So, anyways, uh, I, <laughs> anyway. I had that voice for a little bit, and now it's just morphed into this like. Mm-hmm. Low gravitas. Uh, yeah, you got, you, a little, know, just, you got a little, you got a little grovel there. Yeah, yeah, just recovering. But I'm here. I'm ready. I'm We're so back. ready to talk about Star Wars. Yeah, so I'm glad that you're with us, uh, and uh, we'll try to we'll try to keep keep it under two hours for you, so you don't you know completely pass out on your desk. But uh, we are back to discuss the final two episodes of Andor. Uh, we had a little bit of a break last week, so we're just going to lump those two episodes together this week and be talking about them. Uh, if you're like, hey man, episodes 11, that's that's old news. I want to hear about the season finale. It's just fine. I get it. We got time codes in the description for you, and you can hop to our discussion about that episode. No hard feelings there. Uh, but I also want to just mention, yeah, we know about the Bob Iger thing, the 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 the, the switching of the bobs, as you will. <laughs> the, the passing um, of the, the bob torch. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, we have lots of things to say about that, of course, um, but we're probably going to leave that for next week's discussion. Uh, we no doubt we'll be having a season one recap of all of our thoughts that'll be coming out next week. Um, but in that, we also will definitely be discussing the, the bob of it all. Um, maybe too big of a discussion to be having in this week's episode as we do have lots of things to discuss, uh, but we'll get to it. We get to, we will get to it. I promise. Uh, but in the meantime, Noah, let's talk about some Andor. Uh, it's all said and done. It is all wrapped up. Uh, but before we talk about the finale, let's talk about episode 11. Uh, just kind of general thoughts on the episode. What did you think? Um, it's it's one of those things where I, as I have described uh, each episode to friends and family that are not watching, um, and they're like, oh, so you watched, you watched Andor, is it like, you know... What what was the most recent episode like? Because they don't obviously they don't have the the time or patience to watch the ten previous episodes. They just want to know if it's still good. Which yes, it's still good. <laughs> um, but I found myself kind of constantly describing this as sort of the you know the the crossroads of everything in in where all of these pieces are coming together in a way that I, I had this huge argument with my brother about the state of of uh disney plus streaming shows and 
complained about you know God, Godspeed to you no, knowing your brother and the in the, <laughs> the, 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 the uh, I'll, I'll be kind of just saying that the frustration that can uh, permeate through my body when well, I have uh, in, in yeah. debates with, with the young man let so me, uh, Godspeed no. <laughs> let me preface with this the the conversation uh, sort of started with the idea that that my brother was like I don't really have the patience for for Star Wars and I and I do have the patience for Marvel because everything that happens in Marvel uh is leading to something new and is you know is important for the next thing and Star Wars doesn't really build out okay. you know a a a sequential line of sure. this is going to impact the rest of whatever. Sure, that's um, fair. And I think that it's I think that that's true in a certain sense. Um, but when you look at an episode uh, like episode 11, where you have all of these pieces coming together, I think that that's true. I think that that's the truest that this show comes to that, that idea is that yeah. this episode doesn't drastically change things. It doesn't, yeah. you know, it's not directly building into uh, all these different places. It's mostly just lining up all the pins to be knocked down uh, mm -hmm. eventually. And yeah. those ramifications are sort of on the horizon. They have, you know, you can see them. They're off in the distance. Um, mm -hmm. You can see that they're there, but we're not quite there yet. That's what episode 11 feels like to me. Um, mm -hmm. Anyways, had this long argument with my brother about the state of, of streaming shows. And I always come back to the argument that, uh, with most Disney plus shows, uh, the second to last episode is always my least favorite because it ends up kind of the, the story comes to a grinding halt so that we can repeat some context. We can repeat some exposition and catch everybody back up to speed before things really pop off. That's how mm -hmm. all of the Marvel shows are structured. It bothers me to no end. It's how some of the star Wars shows have sort of done the same thing again, bothers me to no end here. Uh, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that this episode is my least favorite because I don't think I have a least favorite episode. I think that this is so totally in line um, mm -hmm. with where the rest, rest of the show is. Um, it just feels a little bit duller only because we're at the end and things are about to get really crazy. Um, that's no fault of the show. It's no fault of the episode. I think it's just a nice little, uh, you think that things are calming down. You think that things are, are sort of, you know, we're, we're getting a lull, uh, but we know that there's a storm just around yeah. the corner. So I think yeah. that this sets up some really, really good tension. Um, really happy with, with how this show is, is wrapping up, honestly. Yeah. Before I, I guess I get to my general thoughts, I think it is an interesting point made by your brother as far as like Marvel with each project, presumably uh, building to this larger event, uh, uh, building to a, you know, maybe main antagonist kind of Thanos style. I would argue that not all projects in Marvel do that, particularly something like, you know, uh, you know, maybe like a Hawkeye or something. Yeah, we're getting like an Echo series, but is that all, you know, is Hawkeye really pointing to Kang the Conqueror? I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, I actually, guess actually, man, stuff if like you Black like actually look at the episode, like you can see there's this one Easter egg. Sorry, it's just, I don't know what came over me. Just force a habit. No, come back with us. When I snap uh, my finger, you. I'm here. I'm here. It's uh, me. No. <laughs> 
Yeah, I will. I, but I would argue also that that's that's comic books. Po- comic books have been doing that for a long time is in that you will have an overall arc like an Infinity War or a Secret War or a Civil War or something like that. And you will have an X-Men comic that will be pointing the, to this thing. You'll have a Fantastic Four comic that will also be pointing to this thing. So that is comic books. So it makes sense that Marvel would follow in those footsteps. However, with Star Wars, I would say that uh, talk to Dave Filoni about that very thing. I'm sure he's got some plans uh, about the Book of Boba Fett and the Mandalorian and Ahsoka, all of which leading to this overall threat. So if you want to talk about the MCUification of Star Wars, um, I think that there's definitely a discussion to be had there. Obviously, something like Andor not really going to fit into this larger picture. Um, but yeah, that's a different conversation for a different day. Interesting conversation uh, to be had, no doubt, but not for today's episode. Uh, but yeah, generally, I kind of am with you on this episode is I really do feel like it is setting up those pins, as you said, to be knocked down. In my notes, I kind of described it as putting the pieces on a chessboard for this eventual game that will be played. I do think, though, that this is more than that. And I think that this episode also provides a lot of tension to be released um, in that you have all of these pieces coming together, converging on this one location for this eventual kind of explosion that we will see. Um, I think this episode also um, continues on these characters uh, and, and their own journey, how they point to this overall kind of thematic nucleus of Andor, um, and all, all of which just, again, kind of ramping up the tension that will eventually be released uh, with uh, uh, the season finale of this show. Um, so yeah, our, our break seems to be well-timed in that I think these episodes work really well in conjunction. Of course, I think that they work well um, apart from one another. Um, I've really loved this this series and this season so far, and uh, each each kind of uh, doling out of the, the chapters of this, and with each turn of the page, as it were, has just been really, really satisfying and engaging on every level. So for me, this is like an emphatic one thumb up. Um, just because I know what the show can be. Uh, so I'm reserving my two thumbs, maybe even for a different episode, uh, in our very discussion here. So yeah, yeah I'm yeah. an emphatic one thumb up for me. Uh, that's, that's exactly where I am. We've, we've kind of had that, that mood on this show before with plenty of episodes that my thumb yeah. is firmly up. Uh, it is, it's not going anywhere. It's not wavering at all. Um, and it's going to stay there. That's where it is. Yeah. That's where it is, and you and I are going to start diving into the episode and the events of the episode. Um, thankfully, this one isn't uh, uh, super plot-heavy. Again, it's kind of just setting up these pieces that we uh, will be paid off in next week's episode. Uh, well, I guess uh, this week's episode, but the season finale of the show. Uh, but the episode begins with the off-screen death of Cassian's mother, uh, Marva. Uh, I kind of wanted to talk about this being an off-screen moment. What do you kind of think is the importance of this? Uh, the fact that episode 11 as well as episode 10 begin with deaths of characters uh, being kind of, you know, carried through and, and kind of, you know, having this almost sort of mini funeral procession of these characters. But I wanted to get your thoughts on what do you think is the importance of Marva's death being off screen? Kind of what do you think that, that means for the characters as well as us as an audience? Well, so when you come to a character like Marva, right, you have a 
quote-unquote procession for Olaf, right? It's not really a procession. It's more, you know, an inconvenience mm-hmm. for the Empire, and it's more like taking out the trash. Uh, and and Marva's procession uh, with her body is obviously more solemn. I think that the, the death here, as it relates to the character of Marva, uh, and as that relates to Cassian, is what I'm finding this show continually does is it puts people in Cassian's life uh, and sort of in his path that something ends up happening to, whether it's Kino, whether it's Nemec, whether it's Marva, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that these people around him uh, end up either losing their lives or losing something or, you know, getting hurt. Even Bix can be considered sort of in this little family of characters where Cassian Mm -hmm. is influenced by these things. And he has no, I would say that he has no part in this. He's not at fault for Nemec's death. He's not at fault for Marva's death or Kino's death or even Bix's capture and torture. Um, But these people come into his life influence him and then are ripped from him in a way that the the picture that it's building for Cassian especially and this is something that for someone like Luthen or Vel we've already seen or even Mon Mothma we've already seen but for Cassian it begins to ask the question of what are you going to leave behind after this fight is done when you have when you have spent your time here and you don't have any more time left, you're done. What will you leave behind? And so Marva here, it's an interesting point that that we don't see her death on screen, but we see that what she leaves behind is an entire city of grief, is that, you know, her home is being taken care of by citizens of the town and that freaking B, freaking B2EMO my boy is just completely like stricken with grief. And it's one of those heartbreaking things that, you know, yes, you see, you know, characters on screen that will have an effect on another person, whether it's, you know, somebody being sad about Nemec's death or whatever, but her place in, in Ferrix is important enough to where what we see is, what remains after she's gone. And I think that we'll get to her sort of self eulogy uh, in episode 12 that, that talks a little bit more about that directly of what, you know, what do you influence after you've gone? You know? So it's Mm -hmm. a really interesting question to begin asking because Cassian is now influenced by all these people who have gone. Um, I just think that it's, it's really setting up internal character that we will eventually see come rogue one, you know? Yeah, um, I I think that there's obviously a a plot convenience to this as far as Cassian and 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 Ferrix being this kind of imperial hot zone. What is the one thing that's going to get him home? Uh, it's the death of a loved one, or at least a loved one being in danger. Um, and the fact that Marva's death happens off screen, you know, meaning that the audience isn't you know, doesn't see her final moments. I think that that puts us in the similar position as Cassian, as far as like how we feel is we didn't get to see her last moments. We didn't get to see what her final words were or, 
you know, uh, get to be there with her. And I think that that's how Cassian feels. Obviously, he, you know, before his arrest was came to her and and offered to take her off planet. And she felt that Ferrix was her home. And that's where she wanted to spend her final days. Uh, throughout the season, we knew that her health was in decline. So we probably knew that her passing was kind of inevitable here. But I really do feel that it gives us that same sense of longing that Cassian is feeling. And also this wonder of like, if I was there, maybe I could have done something. Or if the Empire wasn't there, maybe we could have gotten her the help that she needed. Or man, if she would have just went off planet with Cassian, maybe things would have played out differently. So I think that there is obviously a a plot significance as far as what is going to get Cassian there. And then as a result of that, what is going to get all of these other characters here? Because Cassian being at the center of the story, we have Luthen coming together. We have these characters of Ferrix and the citizens of Ferrix coming together. And we also have the Empire coming together to not just find Cassian, but also find uh, access to. So I think that there is this real plot convenience, yes, but I think a thematic one too, and one that puts us in a similar kind of or I guess a a unique you know empathic sort of situation where we really do feel like we are in Cassian's shoes as far as man I really wish we could have seen Marva's last moments and I, I think that hearing about Marva's death at the end of the episode like Cassian does kind of puts us in a unique position so because of Marva's death the Empire and Rebel spies are awaiting Cassian's return home we also learn that Ferrix, when a, a citizen dies, uh, Marva, of course, being a, a significant citizen, being one of the daughters of Ferrix, but when when citizens of Ferrix do pass, they have this brick that is inserted into a wall, kind of making up the the very uh, the, the very buildings and and the architecture of Ferrix. And I kind of wanted to talk about the thematic importance of that too. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but uh, uh, bricks in Star Wars are seeming uh, to be kind of a, a a part of discussion. Did you see any of this? Uh, I, I, uh, I didn't. What 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 did I what did I miss? <laughs> Good old pal, uh, a Star Wars theory uh, was was seemingly displeased that this series uh, didn't visually align with some other things in Star Wars because this series has bricks. And he felt that that wasn't something that Star Wars was particularly known for, as well as screws uh, was not part of the visual (laughs) language of Star Wars. Um, So before we get to kind of the thematic importance of that, I just thought that this was a very funny thing. Uh, The fact that there's somebody out there. I don't also listen to Star Wars Theory. I don't know Star Wars Theory. I, I don't engage with his content, but I, I saw this clip online. Just made me laugh. Not to put this guy on blast or anything. No, no. You uh, know but what? He said, Let's he, do he it. He said some funny shit over the past few years, and the fact that he's like, nah, man, I really... This series is just, yeah, the acting's good. Yeah, the 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 writing's good. You know, the important stuff. <laughs> but he's like, I don't know, man. They're just, it's small stuff like bricks. <laughs> Even though <laughs> Star minute, Wars has had what? bricks in it for 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 a long time. There's what, there's bricks in Phantom gonna, Menace. What else are you gonna make? What else are you gonna make buildings out of? Uh, I, I think he was more talking about like, you know, places like Tatooine. There's more of this kind of uh, uh, smooth surface. Oh, you mean uh, like the adobo kind of huts hut, that like... you definitely can't find anywhere in the U.S. history? Pff, you're, I guess you're <laughs> right, you know? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, I think my thing is is there are different planets in Star Wars and there are different architecture in Star Wars. And then also we've seen bricks in Star Wars before. Like Naboo has bricks in it. Uh, yeah. Other planets have bricks in it. There are different... This, again, planets can look like different things. It just—it's this funny idea of like somebody watching, you know, Empire Strikes Back and being like, I don't know, you know things are sure are different from a New Hope, and it's just like, yeah, things can evolve <laughs> and look differently. But also, this really isn't anything that is unheard of in, in Star Wars, and uh, yeah, the 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 tangibility of Star Wars, I would think, is definitely something that is is key to this. And so, seeing the the architecture or the screws that you know, um, there's a, a word for that, uh, and it's it's called greebling. Uh, and oh yeah, yeah. The, the the concept is that like, and they they talk about it in the uh, ILM documentary, but that if you look on a star destroyer, there's just random bits and things that honestly were parts of. Uh, uh, models of like airplanes and they would just put them sporadically throughout either pieces of the Death Star or the Millennium Falcon or the uh, Star Destroyers or, or what have you and it's like what does that do? Doesn't matter. You know, it's just detail as opposed to something like the USS Enterprise from Star Trek. It's mostly smooth uh, and they don't have these random kind of bits and bobs on it. So I would say Star Wars, uh, that kind of uh you know, every screw feels like it does something. Every tube feels like it does something and is important. I would say that bricks are also a part of that too. Uh, aside from having thematic importance, which we will talk <laughs> about, I would say that there is precedent for it. Han Solo's blaster has screws in it. So yeah, uh, yeah. what's your kind of reaction to the to, to screw and brick gate in Star Wars? <laughs> I think that that is the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard. Um, and... If you, I don't know, if you're like, no, really, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, then you should at least have some understanding of, like you said, sort of that, you know, in in these prop building, in the prop building world of Star Wars, whether it's kit bashing with, with models and, and real life stuff that turns into a, uh, you know, a Star Destroyer, or it's a Graflex camera, you know, light thing that turns into a lightsaber or it's whatever that stuff is what makes some of this so real and believable and and mm -hmm. physical and tangible it just is so that to me is that sort of flies in the face of the you know the the admirable design of of all things star wars yeah. honestly it does and i think that that's maybe some of the i would say that that's a bigger issue with the prequels is that things look so much more sci-fi and less grounded um instead of you know having that real i can touch that i can imagine that sort of thing to it mm -hmm. i'll say this though uh, the only thing that I knew of with the uh, with the bricks and things uh, is excuse me I'm I'm laughing because uh, I think it's really <laughs> funny is that in the episode they, they uh, the ISB agents are like learning about this this tradition right this cultural yeah. custom which again you know themes I guess right cultural customs uh <laughs> yeah and th the uh the ISB guy says that when people die they get bricked 
Uh, and I thought that was really funny, <laughs> but that's for a totally different reason. Uh, just poor choice of words, I guess. Uh, but honestly, this you're just getting bricked I, up when you die. Yeah. Don't you know that when you die, you get bricked up? Well, you know, you kind of. I think you do actually. Like, by, <laughs> I, anyways, uh, I'm not a mortician, but uh, I love this idea. This is like whoever whoever thought of this in the writers' room, like. Big, big mm-hmm. raise. This is an awesome addition to, you know, we start this show with something like the pilgrimage to see the eye of, for the people on Aldani to what happens when you die on this one planet that, you know, that no one in the universe seems to care about except for the Empire because it's a good spot to have trade routes. Like, mm-hmm. what what are the customs here? It's something so obscure. I would have never even thought of this to to make... Uh, this world even bigger and more fleshed out, but totally works for me. I love it. Yeah, I think the thematic importance of this is that these people who are part of this community not only make up this community in like an, a, a personal sense, that was like kind of the first episode of the series was meeting these different members of this community, seeing their day to day, seeing what they go to work for, seeing their relationships, seeing, you know, their fucking bathrooms and their, and you know, yeah. the romantic relationships and really making up this city and, and, you know, in, in again, in a personal sense, but also a literal sense, and that the buildings that these people occupy, uh, in a way, are made up of the 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 heritage uh, and and the ancestors who who inhabited this planet. I think that's a really great touch, and also one that yeah goes back to the the citizens of Aldani in that the the empire allows this funeral procession to to commence because they see like the tactical. Uh, you know, leverage that it can give them. Um, but also they just kind of stifle any sort of w- perceived weakness or, or you know, uh, inconvenience in the same way that they did of the citizens of Aldani and that they're like, yeah, you can have your little uh, your little ceremony here, but you can do it way over there. You're, you can't really do it to its fullest. And we're just going to stifle any sense of individuality or anything that's not of, of use to the empire. So with this funeral procession that we see, they're like, you're going to get your little city block. There can be about 40 of you here. Uh, and, uh, it's going to start at this time that we specify, um, but of course, uh, what, what we see in, in next week's episode, that doesn't really, uh, that doesn't really happen here. So yeah, I, I think the bricks give this a real tactile sense, uh, and, and also gives this, this death of, of not just Marva, but presumably others who have passed too. this real sense of, no, they built this city, not just on rock and roll, Noah, but wow. <laughs> of, wow. of, of lineage, uh, and also <laughs> the importance of, of, of elders and, you know, people like Marva who, who are very significant to this, to this city and to this planet. Yeah. That's an interesting thing that, you know, f- from what, what little we learn about Marva's place in, the in the city in the greater citizenship um we know that she has importance there but it's interesting because there's not like a social hierarchy this is still i think i i think i maybe 
mentioned it when you know back when we started uh, with this series was that it has that very like in the heights feel to it that mm-hmm. you know everybody knows everybody all of the you know and when we're watching this all of the shopkeepers are important because they have a place in the community so there's not like sure. a social hierarchy here with the daughters of Ferrix even that they're you know they're not like these rulers or administrators or whatever they're just people yeah. that admire their you know, their heritage, their home, their hometown. It's something that, you know, we can relate to, uh, as an, as an audience, uh, without injecting that sort of social classism side of it, because there's already an oppressive force there that, you know, that threatens the, the knit togetherness of this town, uh, in a way that, you know, becomes completely distinguishable, you know? Yeah, uh, it's definitely something that that comes to a head uh, in in the next episode. But yeah, I I love this little detail. I think it really adds a lot of character to this show. Uh, but we catch back up with Cassian and Melshi, who uh, who do, of course just recently escaped the prison, uh, and they try to hijack this ship while sneaking from the empire they're climbing on cliffs which is super spooky if you're afraid of heights uh but while trying to steal this ship melshi gets a little too over eager uh which results in them getting caught in these like weird goopy nets by Ugh. two locals of narkina 5 and i just want to talk about these two guys these fucking guys <laughs> yeah have got to be like the gluppiest of shittos of this entire season. Uh, they are like, they almost in a way kind of make up for this series, not having as many creatures or aliens as I would prefer. Um, even in like the kind of funeral procession uh, procession of, uh, Narkina five or of, of, uh, of this planet that we, we see in, in, uh, next week's episode. But these two guys are, the best they're oh, so yeah. fucking silly one guy has like a nut sack on his tummy it's so talks gross. like an old southern <laughs> bell and the other guy has like an eye patch and knives for hands it's like completely ridiculous i love it <laughs> do you uh do you watch do you watch these episodes with captions on um it, de- it it depends uh my my girlfriend uh prefers captions so if she's watching one of these episodes with me or i simply forget to turn off the subtitles mm-hmm. <laughs> i might um but i can't remember if i if i turned them off for this episode usually i don't mind so if uh if she was over maybe the night before and we were watching something uh i i usually have them on but again i can't remember if i had them on for this episode why do you have a do you have a fun little nugget for us i do so i i watch uh every show or not every show i watch every star wars show when we when we do these i watch with captions so that i don't miss anything my Mm -hmm. preference is to not watch with any subtitles um but you know, I want to make sure that I get everything. Totally. Um, I get it. I think that you're totally right in saying that these guys kind of make up for it. They're very much like the, uh, they want a wanga, you know, <laughs> totally. They're like the most George Lucas thing in this entire series, yes. to be honest. Um, and first of all, they look great. Like for yep. being practical, for being mostly practical, um, yep. look awesome. Uh, but they're like their speech. They have like a, I don't even know how to describe it. They have yeah. like their own colloquial word or whatever mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's frequently used uh, in this language um, yeah. that is just one of those things that's like, how do we 
write in an al- like a couple of alien characters that feel alien while speaking in their own language, but also in basic is sort of like this Jar Jar Binks esque totally. broken Absolutely. English, Absolutely. which is just, oh my goodness, like really, really hit the nail on the head with these weirdos. Um, yeah, it's like, it's super Phantom menace like that you have like, uh, obviously the the Gungans, but also like Nuke Gunray and people who just like, you know, this weird like, yeah, like you said, it is basic or, you know, in, in our real world English. So you don't need subtitles or anything like that to understand them. It's not like, you know, Jabba to where he, he speaks a different language, but it is this just kind of, backwards yoda e kind of just like again it's english but it's just it's just odd i described it as like oh again like a southern bell is yeah. just like it's it's so odd it's so great <laughs> yeah i definitely i would recommend i would recommend a rewatch of this scene with subtitles because i think it's very yeah. funny how it's like this is just so intentional it's an intentional performance and it's an intentional like writing of these little weirdos yeah. um so good so good yeah I, I, it makes me yearn for the era that like you and I grew up in, in that, like, if these guys were in attack of the clones, you would absolutely be able to buy figures of them. Like, of course they would come with little net guns and they would shoot and you could get Cassian trapped up in it. But it's, you know, it's the reality of the, the world that we live in and the market that we live in that we are probably not going to get figures of these guys. Um, but these are like two examples of like, Oh man, if these guys get Funko pops, I'm going to be there. Like I will absolutely, uh, I'm, I'm not a, a Funko connoisseur by any stretch, but yeah, if these guys get any figure whatsoever, I will be buying them. Like it's I, I don't so, even know what their names so dumb. are. Uh, I'm sure that they're out there. I, I think that they're probably in the credits. I, I don't have them in my note here or, or offhand, but yeah, whatever their names are, just a, a tip of the hat. Bravo. Just completely wonderful. No notes at all. <laughs> no notes. Definitely. Yeah. But, uh, I also wanted to mention that like these two guys, I, I, I feel silly. It's, it's almost like it reminds me of, um, uh, uh, like the Dexter Jetster conversation that you and I had when we watched Attack of the Clones. It's like, yeah, this guy is so dumb. Uh, and he pulls up his pants and it works at a 50s diner. But also there's like real thematic importance to these characters. And these two guys, one of them who has nuts for a stomach and then the other <laughs> guy who, again, has knives for hands. It's like, yeah, these two guys are these Glepshido characters who are just these silly aliens who talk funny. But then also they have like a thematic purpose to them like these two guys are like really emphasizing on the importance of working together like uh, you know luthan could take notes from these two guys it's like yeah working together allowing these two convicts to get off planet and to use your ship although it is an inconvenience and it does kind of endanger them or allow them to be you know culpable in the escape of these prisoners like they understand like how much the empire is ravaging their home and, and they help otherwise. And I think it really does point to this kind of uh, uh, overarching theme of this episode in particular, because we also see Vel who attempts to visit Luthen, but is shut down by Clea who describes her as one of the many needed and panicked faces that like kind of stroll through here looking for Luthen. This idea of like, 
Luthen has continued to use others. And at the drop of the hat, when he's done kind of using them, he just abandons them or at worst kills them. It's like a very empire way of thinking and, and one that Luthen is like getting dangerously closer and closer to by each action that he takes is like he's seen this victory at any cost you know this this real you know uh does the the, the are the means met uh or uh, what's the phrase there's a phrase what, what's uh, the the the, the, um, the ends justify yeah. the means there it is. There it is. Sorry. Long day. Long Thanksgiving. Uh, but yeah, this real, the, the, the ends justify the means as far as, you know, yeah, I'll kill this guy or yeah, I'll use this guy. Whatever yeah. gets me to my goal, um, I, I will take that avenue. Um, and it also is continually kind of uh, emphasized where Luthen contacts Saw Gerrera in this episode who, you know, Saw agrees to, to help in this mission. Luthen warms him of this coming attack, of course, uh, which only furthers Saw's paranoia because he knows what Luthen is capable of and this this general kind of idea of this so-called rebel alliance really lacking in the alliance category so yeah super Star Wars that these two weird fucking alien characters just do nothing but point to this thematic kind of importance of I think that this episode in particular but uh, this also entire series yeah it's true I, I and I do have to interject and say um, they do have names. Um, I, I'm glad you found this out. So, what are their names? Grace uh, us, please. So their names are Freedy Pamilar, Freedy Pamilar, and Dewey Pamilar. Uh, I'm Freedy guessing that they're brothers. Good old Absolutely. Freedy and Dewey. Um, Freedy I, and Dewey are just my heroes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I'm like, so, this is one of those things where it's like, no, really, there is like an important thing here. Um, it is one of those interesting things that you wouldn't really, you wouldn't really guess that there's like, does this mean anything? No, it's just a little gag. Um, no, but I think you're right. I think that this is their their perception of the empire sort of hints at that, you know, a, a theme that we'll that we'll see later. Um, that it takes more effort. Um, to sort of behave like the empire, it takes less effort, um, to push back. It's, it's more natural, um, to, to kind of go the opposite direction of the empire and, and not, Mm -hmm. you know, not, not, uh, take on their, their behaviors and their typical actions and whatever it is. Um, so it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's more natural for them to, to help. And then they have a reason to as well. Um, sort of that when you're, when you're given the opportunity, yeah, you, you know, you take that opportunity to sort of act in, you know, in rebellion to the empire, even if they're not, you know, doing it to say, well, we rebel, uh, their actions are more aligned with what we would see from a rebellion, which is just very interesting um, as it sort of pertains to what we'll hear a little bit later in terms of the Empire's philosophy, um, which, yeah, that's its own whole thing. But I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think we also see this 
rejection of the sort of philosophy because Vell, who I, I think appears to be kind of over Luthen and, and over these these tactics taken by these rebels at this time, she visits Mon Mothma, who is watching her daughter perform this ritualistic Chandril and dance. Um, I think it's also noteworthy that Vell like name drops Luthen in this connection multiple times in this conversation, which is something that she was pretty adverse to uh, in prior episodes. That she's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It reminds me of that. Uh, what we do in the shadows quote that's been like trending on TikTok. It's like, I wouldn't even dare utter his name. It's like, I don't give a fuck. His name is Mike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing that's happening here. But I, I did want to talk about this dance and, and that we, we see Mon Mothma's daughter engaging in really embracing these Chandrillan traditions and this idea that her daughter is kind of having this rebellious streak. Of course, she's a teenager, yes, but really embracing these Chandrillan traditions, something that Mon Mothma is having to like actively fight against. So in a way, like uh, having this inner, inner battle, Mon Mothma, having this inner sort of battle of wanting to have this obviously tactical advantage trying to continue to hide these funds but at what cost uh, at this kind of perceived sacrifice of giving away her daughter to marriage but this odd kind of it's not really a sacrifice because her daughter would probably want this tradition to be upheld. It's really, it's really compelling. And also puts Mon Mothma in this, in this really fascinating place of, she has seen the result of these, these arranged marriages, obviously her husband, parent, the worst, like the guy sucks. And so her wanting to protect her daughter from these very traditions, but because her daughter is rebellious, she's wanting to go towards these these traditions and and, and performing these dances. I, I I think it was was a really interesting note to add uh, and a really interesting layer to add to this character. That's the thing is, you know, it would be a different conversation if Mon Mothman was faced with the choice of, you know, yeah, I'll help you out, but you have to marry off your daughter uh, and let's, you know, hypothetically say that the daughter didn't want to be involved in these traditions, these customs, and that Mon Mothma had to make that choice for her. That is Mm -hmm. a more sinister sort of like, well, you're really, you know, you're really sacrificing a lot. You're really, you know, getting other people involved in this just so that you can continue to do whatever. And it raises different Mm -hmm. questions. With this having her give in to these customs for the sake of herself and for the sake of her daughter is less a, you know, it's less a question of who is affected by the choices that you have to make. It's that self-reflection of, are you going to give in to the things that you despise the most, the things that you're afraid of? Are you going to give in and are you going to be okay with yourself? Because in this scenario, no one else is mad at you. No one is mad at you. Like you didn't do mm-hmm. anything wrong to anyone except for your own beliefs, your yeah. own yeah. like your your own values. And do you, you know, are you gonna be able to live with yourself? Obviously, the answer is yes. You know, we we know a little bit about how Mon Mothma's story sort of ends up, but it's that question of how far are you willing to go? Um and in a scenario where it doesn't affect anybody else, it matters the most how it affects yourself, um, which is yeah. an interesting place to kind of 
you, you duplicate that idea to someone like Luthen, who maybe at the beginning was, you know, faced with compromising his own, his own values. And now we see him at the point where dude's almost worse than Saw Gerrera. Dude, like, mm-hmm. makes a suggestion that Saw Gerrera is like, you're going to what? Hold on. <laughs> Wait <laughs> yeah, a minute. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. what? <laughs> and yeah. It, so, you know, you get to that point where... Now yeah, you, you're you know you're extreme people. when Saw Gerrera is like I don't know, dude. That like <laughs> that's some <laughs> diabolical shit. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's that's sort of the idea. Is okay. Where's the you know is is Luthen a representation of the path that some people start on, where it's giving into your own values, no matter how much they hurt yourself. Then at a certain point, they begin to hurt others, and you you begin to you know make choices that are bad for other people is that the natural path or is there like a way to get away from that is there a way to make choices that will you know that'll keep everything peaceful what we see so far mm-hmm. is that mon mothma has tried those things and at a certain point they you know those things stop being effective so she's had to make those compromises it's a yeah. very interesting thing because so far we've seen luthen and mon mothma sort of at this parallel journey but they're much you know luthan is much farther than mon mothma in in an interesting way you know yeah and it all is pointing to this this idea of uh, uh, we've mentioned it before this idea of like fighting what you hate versus saving what you love shout out rose tico but this idea of you have this goal uh, and I, I think it's it's wise to bring up Luthen and Mon Mothma having the same goal, but both sacrificing pieces of themselves in order to achieve this goal. We see Luthen down at this far point of this, obviously willing to kill people that he otherwise would seem uh, would, would probably call allies. But Mon Mothma, you're right in, in that nobody's up in arms about her giving away her daughter or it, it, it would certainly wouldn't raise any sort of concern. It's not like she's killing people just because, you know, it's it's the fact that she is going against her own wishes in a way. And it almost makes it worse that nobody's going to say anything about it, you know? Like it, 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 again, it's not like she's just killing some random citizen or something like that. She is doing this thing that to everybody else is tradition and it's what you're supposed to do. But she knows this fate that eventually could, you know, befall her daughter. We don't know this guy. We don't know the son could be lovely. Like he could be great. You know, this could work out for her <laughs> daughter. But that's also not really the point. The point is that is that she is going against what she believes to be her own values in order to achieve this. You know, so yeah, we know that Mon Mothma obviously is going to be leader of the rebel of the rebels and return of the Jedi and all of that. But you know, what is her relationship with her daughter? What is her relationship with her husband? We don't know how all of that is going to to play out, of course. So yeah, I think all of this series um, is pointing to this idea of of what are you going to to sacrifice within yourself in order to achieve this goal. I think we'll also return back to this point to where we talk about Cinta in the next episode because I think that there's some interesting pieces or interesting uh, 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 things brought up with with her character uh, especially. So uh, speaking of pieces, uh, the episode sets up as we had talked about a lot of these kind of pieces of this board 
uh, in, in, in these invested parties heading into Ferrex, heading to this funeral, um, including, yes, Cyril Karn. We get more of him in this episode, uh, who was contacted regarding the whereabouts of, of Cassian. He's, of course, really focused on that, as well as Luthen. Uh, and we see an extended sequence, this action sequence that this episode has. Uh, it's it's that shot in the trailer to where we see his his uh, ship outfitted with like a little mini, you know, like little mini lightsabers, but then also reminds me of that thing that Iron Man had in Iron Man 2, those little lasers, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's yeah. definitely like... It, we, we've talked before about like the appeal. It's obviously one of the many flavors of Star Wars, but the whiz bang, you know, kind of pulpy sci-fi action um, doesn't add a lot to the story, uh, especially the way this season ends. It doesn't really like come back to bite Luthen or anything. It's not anything like thematically super significant, but boy, is it cool? You know, like it's it's the pew 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 that we love to see um, some cool action, some cool tension. Uh, we also see like a ship that's. I mean, maybe new to Star Wars. I don't know. But like the Arrestor Cruiser, like mm-hmm. got this. It's a Star Destroyer with like big radar dishes on it. Like, yeah, I don't I don't know if it's new to Star Wars. But I have to dive into Wikipedia, but it's cool. Uh, like this sequence. It's cool. I liked it. No, <laughs> oh, it's baller. It's so cool. It's one of those things that you just you, you want to be you want to be surprised by things. You know, you you at everybody's core. They want to see something that they've never seen before. I think that that idea can trip up a lot of movies, TV shows, whatever it is, is that like, oh, we have to show them something they've never seen before. This is one of those things that's like uh, in, in 20 years, I will forget about this. I will forget about the fact that Luthen's ship had, you know, lasers and did a barrel roll and just sliced these TIE fighters, right? doesn't super matter but it's cool as hell and i haven't seen that before you know and so it's one of those things that gets you it just gets you giddy about star wars where you're like oh man oh that was sick that was awesome and that's all it is yeah um i think it i i think it does pour a little bit of fuel on the fire that i don't know if you've heard this that people think that luthan is a, a jedi that has uh survived order 66 uh, and people sort of have been pointing to his, his ship being like super decked out and like, it has, sort of has this artificial intelligence companion side to it, uh, that says like, this guy's a little bit more interesting than you are led to believe. Um, there's, I don't know if there's really anything there, but it, he is cool. Dude's cool. And he's got a cool ship. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it. this I- idea of having him be more interesting than we've led, been led to believe, but then having the twist of him being a Jedi from Order 66 is completely counterintuitive. <laughs> to me, that makes him way less interesting. It's like, oh, yeah, oh wow, this, this plot device that we've seen implemented like literally so many times in the past 10 years. Like, I'm I'm good, man. I've had my fill. Uh, I love those characters. I love Cal Kestis and Ahsoka and Kanan Jarrus and and, uh, and 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 Reva and others. You know, there's there's so many great examples. But again, there's so many great examples. So let's let's yeah. leave it at that. I, I, I think Luthan, uh, a lot of mystery to the character is what makes him so great uh and if we we uncover that mystery cool i'm excited to break that down when we, when we learn about it but uh yeah order 66 is something that is not not as <laughs> we're, interesting we're to me we're firmly staying out of tin tinfoil hat territory with this show and i'm not upset yeah. about it i'm not yeah 
I, I think Tony Gilroy is also not interested in the tinfoil hats. So let's leave it at that. Uh, but this episode ends with Cassian and Melshi parting ways as Andor learns <laughs> of the death of his mother, of course. Of course, setting up uh, the season finale of this show, uh, which I'm very excited to discuss here. Uh, but before we dive into it, I just want to get general thoughts on episode 12. General thoughts on episode 12. Boy, um, I am struggling with this. Okay. And the reason that I'm struggling with general thoughts is because I feel like a broken record. (laughs) I've said so many times that this show continues to surprise me and amaze me and just pull at every emotional string that I didn't even know that I had. There are so many layers to this last episode, and it's the only episode, uh, actually, of this show that I have that I watched twice. Um, I stayed up late to watch the to watch the finale when it dropped. Um, so I was. Oh man! Yeah, and look at you. For me, in in Central Time, uh, that's two a.m. Uh, that I was that I was up to watch this show. Burning uh, the midnight oil watching Andor. I like it. Granted, I did not have to work the next day, um, so that was the only reason. Um, that and because it was Thanksgiving, uh, sort of the festivities were beginning um, on that day. Uh, I had also planned to watch it. Uh, that night with my parents because my parents are caught up to it. And I'll say this, it feels like just yesterday that I was explaining to my dad uh, that this show is called Andor and not Endor and didn't focus (laughs) on the Ewoks uh, from Return of the Jedi. Uh, But now here we are at the end uh, and I'm watching the finale with my dad and both of us are just like, wow, Wow, this is, oh my goodness. I am just floored by some of the, some of the choices in this episode specifically that like don't, I would say they don't like typically fit in Star Wars. A marching band, a funeral procession, <laughs> a like a, a, a a neighborhood inciting a police riot. These are things that, you know, that I could look forward to in a Star Wars show. And, you know, after the trailer, after the first full trailer, I can see these things and I can put together in my mind a picture of what this might be. But 12 episodes of a show later, it just all comes together in this, you know, this menagerie of... Yeah, this is it. This is this is Star Wars and this is like Star Wars at its best, at really some of its best. Um anyways, broken record. This episode is incredible, not just because mm-hmm. it's the the finale, but I think that it does what a good finale does. Um and a lot of it is just good TV. It just is. So uh mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's about it for me for general thoughts. Yeah, I I think it's it it really is this. I mean, it's the finale of a great series. It's a great season of of a a television show. So it is kind of benefited by being 
the encapsulation of a lot of the series thematically yes but it also is like a lot of these narrative threads meeting at a point a literal geographical point yeah <laughs> um, crossroads if I, you will yes exactly but i think that this series and or I, I keep saying series but this season it's so great that we're getting more of this but this season specifically is just like some of the finest star wars that we've gotten and i I struggle to like, we'll see what season two does. But as of right now, this is just like one of the best Star Wars things that we've just gotten like flat out period, you know, like it is just so good. Like, and I was talking actually today. Um, I don't know if I mentioned before, but like I, I uh, my day job in addition to doing, uh, of course, like uh, entertainment journalism stuff, but I work at a restaurant and I was talking with some customers today just about this series. And we, we all just shared the sentiment of just like, isn't this so good? Like, isn't this just <laughs> wild how freaking good this show is? Like every week I, I just watch this and I'm just like, I feel so lucky to be a Star Wars fan. Like, of course, I'm uh I am a, a comic book fan, so I'm a I'm a DC fan, I'm a Marvel fan, of course, but I feel so lucky to be first and foremost a Star Wars fan because I think this far and away is like some of the best genre television that you can really get out there. Like, I think that this is better than The Boys. I think this is better than oh, yeah. Invincible. I think this is better than any Marvel show that we've gotten not yep. to say that like to kick not to poo poo those down at all like I really enjoy a lot of those shows I just think it's a testament to how great this is like this is like some of the best genre stuff that we've gotten in a while and it is so gratifying and so satisfying to see this end with such a finale to see this end with such a definitive uh, in a way ending, but in a way that also gets me nothing but excited for next season as well. Um, this of course is a, a an emphatic th two thumbs up for me with a single tear just dripping <laughs> off my cheek. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I watch this. Are, um, my thumbs are shaking. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I watched this. Uh, my, uh, I had a lovely uh, holiday weekend with my girlfriend. Uh, she has watched Rogue One. She hasn't watched any of this series with me yet, so we're going to watch it. But with that in mind, she was like watching a different show on her on her phone with headphones in, so she wouldn't be spoiled by this. And when it ended, I just turned to her and I was just like, "God, <laughs> I can't believe how good this is." Uh, she's like, "Oh, I'm glad you liked it." And I was like, "You don't understand." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, just like uh, just beside my it's so good yeah there there's more than a few moments uh in in this that like we've we've talked about like physical reaction type stuff i'm not one i'm not one to uh to physically react to movies or tv very often um like very very seldom i think the probably the like the most recent time that i've had a like outburst uh at a movie um was like probably I mean Avengers Endgame sort of counts um mm -hmm. but that's sort of the energy there aside from that uh the first time that I saw Marriage Story got like a few like out loud physical reactions out of me that's that's mm -hmm. like the most recent time I can think of uh and this show on more than one occasion not even like per episode but like on more than one occasion sometimes more than once per episode uh i find myself like physically like 
shouting at moved. my TV, you know, moved yeah. to, to speech. And, <laughs> and when I watched this the first time, like I said, burning the midnight oil, uh, at two o'clock <laughs> And I have, you know, a sleeping human and a sleeping cat in the same room as me. And I went, I like slapped my forehead at one point and went, oh, no. (laughs) I I think I know which part it was. (laughs) And I like had to like cover my mouth because I was like, oh, there's there's people here. I can't like I can't like shout. Um, Yeah. But just. Oh my goodness. And I always make fun of my mom because she reacts to everything that she watches with something physical, whether it's like a, oh, or like a, or like a, no way, you know, <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's my mom. And I was doing that, uh, a little bit, you know, more emphatic, but even still, yeah, there's a lot of it that, it that really, really proves that, you know, that this has pulled me in and so many others. I, like you were saying, kind of that shared, you know, that shared conversation that you've been able to have with some people. Um, I tend to stay off of like the star Wars side of things on TikTok, especially, um, Twitter, you know, is different because you get a lot of news and stuff like that. But TikTok especially is one of those places where you can stumble across anybody that will just say anything. Okay. And so I try to stay like, I don't like, inter- like screws and bricks aren't part yeah, of Star exactly. Wars. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up because I feel like getting riled up. Um, it's a treat. It's a treat. But, uh, I, so I tend to stay away from that stuff on TikTok. I don't interact with Star Wars stuff all the time, unless it's like a funny joke or whatever, just because I think that a lot of people that get, that get interaction are because they're obnoxious. Um, however, all of the stuff that I've seen for Andor is just people that are like me waking up on Wednesday, knowing that I'll have, I'll be blessed with the greatest episode of any television series ever. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like these random little pockets where TikTok is like, I think you'll probably like this, right? You, you know, let me show you this in your, in your page. And it's just people just blessing Andor, you know, um, which is just amazing to see. I love it. You know? Yeah, it's it's so, so good. I think, you know, obviously it's not going to please everybody, but this seems to be one of those shows that like the fandom has seemingly agreed of you're either like this is great or other people who are like this is boring not for me, you know, but like it's just really I'll take not for me any day of the week, you know, because it really goes to what we've been talking about is like we're in an era where we're getting so much star wars stuff that not everything has to be for you because guess what there's another star wars tv show coming out in like 40 days yeah. it's called yeah. the bad batch and if you want a show that is like action and energy like that the, the a-team star wars or ninja turtle star wars absolutely will fit up your alley um but boy is this my flavor of star wars again this is like some of the finest star wars that has ever star ward uh and i'm really excited to talk about it here uh, as well as definitely next week when we talk about our overall thoughts on season one uh but the episode begins with the reest establishing of kind of the whereabouts of multiple characters uh further moving these pieces into place uh on this you know sort of proverbial chessboard uh which i again just kind of felt like just built this tension it was like 
you know, these like pulling of a, of a, of a spring, you know, you're just like waiting for it to snap. Uh, and it was just like uh, having everybody converge on the single location, knowing who and what parties are interested in each other, having characters literally interact with one another who are looking for one another, you know, having rebel spies and Imperial spies have conversations. It was just so tension filled. Uh, it was, it was really, really great. Uh, but we also see Willem, uh, pack who builds what appears to be an explosive device while looking at the hollow projection of his late father. Again, just sort of contributing to this episode, having the feeling of a literal ticking time bomb that, you know, it's, you know, check off bomb. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's yeah. going to go off. <laughs> so you're kind of just waiting for it to go off. Is that a uh, bomb one citizen on the mantle of... over the fireplace? <laughs> you know, just... <laughs> oh, that's a bomb. Like, quick, I honey, give me my bomb. <laughs> I wonder if that'll come back. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, we have one citizen of Ferrix, uh, Nurchi, uh, who sells out his community by acting as an Imperial informant. Uh, obviously, the guy has not seen Star Wars. It's not going to go well for him. Uh, we see Mon Mothma's uh, relationship as well uh, and her relationship with her husband continuing to be strained. Uh, while she kind of like lectures him on gambling and acquiring this debt uh, while, you know, being a public figure on Coruscant. All of this, of course, is overheard by an eavesdropping driver who reports this conversation to the ISB. Um, it was it was an interesting kind of revelation watching this scene for me. I don't know about you, but when she asks the driver, you know, not to listen, I was kind of like, homie like you know that he's listening to you like why are you doing oh <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> yeah it was kind of like oh this is on purpose so seeing uh, mon mothma really take ownership of the fact that she's being spied on but how she could use this to her advantage was really interesting to me yeah th there was a there was a, a funny I, I can't remember which video it was um that usually after i watch these episodes i'll go through um some of the YouTubers that I'll watch and make sure that I have picked up everything uh, in case there's anything that I missed. Um, mm -hmm. And it was funny because one one video that I watched, somebody was like, I really like this scene because I actually have a theory about this. I think that uh -huh. she did this on purpose. Like, I would bet that she did this on purpose. And I think that'd be super cool if, if that was why, because this, this, and that. And I was like, are we, did, like... Are we, I think you're missing something like this is totally on purpose. This is like, yeah, absolutely is, you know? Um, and it, it kind of goes, the show goes out of its way to, to allude to that. Um, and this entire show so far is just showing the, you know, the sort of the slimy kind of like, what are the avenues you can take to, you know, to gain the upper hand against, you know, mm -hmm. certain entities, I just thought that was funny that I was like, yeah, this is absolute, I, I guess, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was maybe more subtle than I'm making it out to be, but I was fully like, I was fully tracking. I was like, that is so sick. That is awesome. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny how like some members of her family, she's like really having this battling of the soul, but she is just like willingly like pushing her husband into traffic, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I don't blame her. The guy sucks. The guy absolutely sucks. And apparently he's addicted to gambling. So, uh, yeah, just the worst. The worst. <laughs> and I'm glad absolutely. the empire is investigating him. Um, yeah, yeah. Really, re really, really good stuff there. Um, we also see the relationship between Cinta and Vel also, uh, kind of strained. Um, while 
Jacinta is really, you know, mission oriented as we've seen her be this entire season. And Vel is kind of maybe like at her, her wits end in a way and really seeing how this, this goal, this, this idea of, of rebellion has sort of withered away at Senta. Again, it's this idea of like, what are you willing to sacrifice? And with Senta's, um, uh, Senta's case, it seems to be like her own relationship with other people. Like she's not selling others out necessarily to get what she wants. She's not throwing others under the bus. Like, yeah, she's, she's actively hunting Cassian. Um, but I, I think her relationship is a very embodiment of this idea of not fighting what you hate, but saving what you love. And she is just focusing on fighting what she hates. She's not worried about those people that she's fighting for ostensibly the the people that she is trying to protect by you know uh, taking out the empire and i think that this this scene really uh, embodies that idea yeah it's it's that question again of when you come out of this on the other side what are you going to take with you you know what are you, what are you going to come out of this with or, or or are you going to lose those things are you going to give up those things you know that that question um is being asked of multiple people i will say um the idea that vel is sort of not i guess not on the same page is kind of i mean that's just a, a an, an easy way of putting it but her attitude towards this and i remember I, I mentioned it before that when we see halfway through the show when we see cyril uh, now working in a space cubicle, right? And he's got a boring job where he's mm-hmm. not doing the thing that he wants to do. He's not fulfilled. Dude looks bad. He like looks like he is withered away. And in my opinion, I think that this same sort of tactic is used with Vel in this last episode. To me, she looks m- more like she is withered away a little bit. She looks physically like she is weakened. She looks like she's not sure. fulfilled. And I think that that's sort of indicative of where her relationship is at in this idea that the, you know, the cause, the capital C cause has stripped away the thing that she is actually fulfilled by. And yeah. we see this with, you know, with each and every character of sort of what what is that thing that they, you know, are desperately trying to hold on to, whether it's Cassian at the beginning of his show with his self-preservation or it's, you know, Luthen with his anonymity. And we see this a lot of what is this character trying to hold on to? And at what point, once that thing is being, you know, taken from them or their their grip is starting to starting to weaken, they physically are represented as sort of frail and and unfulfilled. I think it's an interesting yeah. thing. That's just my take. Um, listener, I'd encourage you to go back and take a look at those two episodes, those references for Cyril and Vel, because Mm -hmm. maybe it's just me, but I think that there's some physicality there in sort of that representation because this totally tracks with where Vel is at with Cinta right now, you know? Yeah. I, I think that there's definitely this idea of this, you know, losing of oneself, what that kind of sacrificing of your own morals can reflect to your 
uh, to your physical appearance. There's definitely precedent for that in Star Wars. Look at the look at Anakin, you know, look at Saw Gerrera even in this very series. Uh, this idea of being so dedicated to a cause that it completely withers away at you physically. So uh, I, I haven't taken note of like maybe some makeup tactics or maybe some, you know, bags under the, under the eyes or something like that. So I'll have to go back and check. But I think that there's yeah definitely some precedent towards you know what that can do to somebody uh for sure so uh good find good find hey thanks um, that's what i'm here for hey hey you're welcome uh we also see uh andor has officially arrived back on ferrix where he visits his father's brick um we also see a flashback where clem uh discusses the importance of looking past the rust in reference to these machines that are that he's repairing seeing the potential of what could be I, I think that this is an interesting sort of, I don't know what the word would be, but it is almost kind of like this, I, I felt like almost like a thematic Rorschach test. And I'm curious to see what your thoughts are about this conversation, about this flashback and how you think it kind of pertains to maybe some of the messages of this series. Well, there's sort of that that idea um, that we constantly get of the Empire looking down on on you know the, the citizens of the galaxy really just as a whole um that idea of looking down there's a little bit of confusion here because the i you know taking that allegory to its logical conclusion would say that you know the the things that do matter or the people that do matter the people that are noticed um are you know the ones that are nice shiny clean and whatever and that the the ones that are seen as dirty, useless scrap are the ones that are overlooked, but have the most potential. That's just, you know, surface level. That's sort of a Star Wars thing is Luke is a moisture farmer. Ray is a scavenger. Anakin is a slave, right? And the, the, the meekest of beginnings can be, you know, can be the, the, the greatest power uh, and the greatest source of good in the galaxy. I think mm-hmm. that though, as this relates to Cassian, sort of this this conversation of you know the sort of conversation of looking past the rust and seeing the value uh, in something like that is specifically in relation to himself. I don't think that this is strictly something that you know is is a metaphor for the Empire and how they misjudge uh, the common citizen. I think this is Cassian's sort of own reflection of himself. Uh, And we get a line that we'll talk about later that is um, sort of vicariously delivered by Marva um, Mm -hmm. through Brazo that I think perfectly encapsulates this. And it's one of those moments that I couldn't help but be just emotionally struck by. Um, That I think that Cassian's idea of himself is that he is he is the rust covered piece he's the one that is you know he's all by himself he doesn't need anybody to look after him he doesn't need anybody to clean him up but he doesn't realize the value that he has the potential that he has um that's sort of my takeaway what are you thinking about this this conversation 
you know, like the titles of this series, I think that there are multiple meanings or multiple applications, which is kind of why I meant like it's this sort of Rorschach test is I I don't think it's necessarily one thing, um, which is why I really like that. I really like this. So I I have a couple. I think one, this could be in reference to Cassian. I think it could be in reference to Cassian's own proverbial rust. Um, I think that we really do see this rebellious streak in Cassian early on in his life. You and I talked specifically about that idea of how this has been sort of awakened in Cassian um, in that, you know, spending time on this prison, spending time with others who, you know, could you know, uh, awaken this rebellious streak in him and, and, you know, the, this, this rebel inside of him could be reemerged and, and how that relates to, you know, those that he interacts with this prison in this prison, specifically Kino Loy being one of those kind of, uh, uh, key figures in that idea. I think that this could be kind of Cassian from the beginning of the series to now, this rust has kind of been shaken off of him. This rust has kind of been cleaned away to where now he is able to see the importance of action and seeing the fact that just sitting idly by waiting for these things to knock at your door, it eventually will happen. Uh, and I think that that's something that we have seen brought up before in this series and especially with with Nimick's manifesto, which we get some more details about in this very episode, uh, but also in Marva's speech that we will see at the end of this episode. So I think that's kind of an avenue that I can go by. But I also think that it is, yes, in relation to the Empire, but also people like Luthen, too. People who just see the rust, but don't see the utility that they could provide to them. Or but the very fact that it's like, yeah, you're only seeing the bad parts of this. You don't understand that Cassian could be a real tool to the Rebellion and to somebody that could actually help you. All you're seeing is rust. All that you're seeing is this guy's a liability, he's a loose end, and he is going to result in me getting discovered and me getting found out and everything's going to fall apart. To where it's like, no, you just clean it off a little bit and it's a it, it's something that you can use. It can be an overall cog in this, this Rebellion machine. And I think you're right to bring up the Empire in that it only sees people as you know this machine once you're rested over you're of no use to me look no further than this prison industrial kind of machine that we see them have here it's like oh you're dying you're old we're not going to save you anymore we're going (laughs) to euthanize you because you're of no use to us anymore so i think that there's a lot of ways that you can kind of take this uh conversation that we have here um but i think that that's really the beauty of this is that can it can apply to so many different things yeah, I mean that's that's just that's how Star Wars is is really I mean with most things uh, that there's mm-hmm. you know what what is important about this to you and how do you how do you yeah. understand that? Absolutely, definitely. Um, I think that uh, after this, uh, uh, we we get to see this rust kind of being shaken off even further uh, because we see that Cassian learns of Bix's imprisonment and immediately sets out to rescue her. Um, one, I think he's like, no, I've been in a prison. It's I know what the cap- uh, the capabilities of the Empire are. I'm going to go save my friend. But also, we saw him at the beginning of the series maybe being a little bit more self-centered, a little bit more preoccupied with himself and, you know, Uh, I don't think amoral by any regards, but the fact that he is willingly and knowingly putting himself in danger with against these insurmountable odds 
to go save his friend. I really think uh, speaks volumes about where his character has begun and is now at. Um, but in preparation for this upcoming mission, uh, Cassian learns or excuse me, listens to Nimic's manifesto. So we get some details on what Nimic uh, was, was journaling about and what the message that he wanted to put out in the galaxy exactly was. Um, I've included the entire manifesto portion uh, in our notes, Noah. So if you want to bring up any specific lines or anything like that, uh, we're not going to talk about the entire thing. But I think that this really discusses these themes of these again these insurmountable odds and how the empire sets out to isolate one another make you feel alone uh but the importance of trying despite those odds and despite even your own failures i think that this portion of the manifesto is not just like a beautiful reminder of the themes that are at play at uh, in this very series but like literally it's just star wars you know <laughs> like you could say this and have this quote playing over most scenes in star wars i i think it's really beautifully written yeah there's i think the the one line in here that that stands out the most to me um is the imperial need for control is so desperate because it is so unnatural. Tyranny requires constant effort. Yeah. This is this is a way of looking at at Star Wars as a whole that I have never thought about. I've never thought of it this way. Not that mm-hmm. I think that it's wrong or or anything by any means, but it it has never come across this way. And I've tried to explain this uh, to people that I that you know I'm I'm begging them to watch this show. Um, <laughs> that th- when we see, you know, th- I guess when we see the Empire's oppression um, or what we've seen so far of the oppression mm-hmm. of the Empire um, has mostly just been in episode four it's sort of just the you know i think the the biggest show of force uh in sort of the main saga what people what most people would be familiar with with the empire the main show of force is blowing up alderaan and the fact is that that is not that's not oppressive that's just kind of maniacal you know Mm -hmm. it is oppressive right um but it's just maniacal. It's diabolical. It's evil, right? And that's mm-hmm. how it comes across, is that the Empire is evil. To say that the Empire is oppressive, now you need to prove that. And the idea here is that, you know, you're you're taking all these examples of, let's just say the Death Star, for example, is a project that we know of that had so many hiccups, so many bumps, uh, along the way of of getting this project together, getting it funded, getting it approved, getting it built, that entire process was so like from we from what we know of from the books, but also Rogue One, um, is that this process of Project Stardust um, was something that took a lot for the empire to do. It was straining on, you know, them as a cohesive group, um, a a cohesive entity that, you know, there were all these different projects and whatever. And the fact is that they went forward with this, with this thing, just barreling through all of these problems and all of these, you know, hiccups because it mattered to them that they needed to be the most, it needed to be the most, you know, fear inducing thing. It needed to to be the most intimidating thing. And you jump forward to something like Starkiller Base, where again, Starkiller Base as a concept 
it's kind of just evil, you know? It's kind of just evil. And the idea that, you know, what this made me think of the most is that when you think of something like the rebellion or the resistance, right, taking those groups by their names and looking at things a little bit literally and saying, okay, rebelling is to, you know, is to, is to fight back against the way that things are, right? Or resisting. You're resisting the way that things are. This mm -hmm. framing, though, is showing that, you know, saying freedom is a pure idea. It occurs spontaneously. It just happens. You don't have to, you don't have to instruct freedom. You don't have to teach freedom. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to put constant effort into freedom, but that the, that the effort is in the, is in the oppression because it's, not the way that things are supposed to be frames everything so differently in a way that actually for once sells the idea of oppression in this galaxy. Mm -hmm. And it is really, really moving, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I think the idea as well of <clears throat> the phrasing of like oppression is the mask of fear is this idea of like something like a death star, which is being used as this tool of oppression, something that like Tarkin threatens Leia with the destruction of her planet by using this and, and, and throwing this weapon around to where when he gets what he wants or so he thinks he still uses it just because, you know, just because, uh, right. just keep it just to serve as a message. This idea of we're going to continue to do these things to serve as a symbol so that these people don't uprise. Uh, because they will, you know, end up defeating us. This some, is something that we see in the prison is that, you know, these people who do act out, they're going to get electrocuted by the floor. But if everybody acts in solidarity with one another, you know, that is something that will uh, eventually, as as Nimic puts, break the siege. Um, I think it also points to the importance of symbols, the importance of the ability to inspire others. It makes me think of obviously the destruction of the Death Star, but also the last Jedi, the importance of Luke as a symbol uh, and what he's able to do to others and what eventually is paid off uh, in the rise of Skywalker. So I think that this entire a uh, portion of the manifesto could like be its episode in and of itself of, of breaking down, uh, you know, this manifesto line by line. Uh, so if you haven't just like sat and read the thing, like it's really, it's really incredibly well-written. So bravo. It also points to a lot of, I think real world oppression that we're seeing too, but we'll, we'll get to that for sure. Yeah. Um, Cassian meets up with Rosso and what I presume to be the same tunnel that Marva helped clear out earlier in the season, something that was mentioned. I think you and I were kind of like, that's going to be important later on. So that is really the, the, the way that Cassian is able to navigate this city so freely. Um, and, and is in this tunnel that Rosso tells Cassian, uh, of Marva's last words and last message message to Cassian. Um, and I, I thought that this moment was, was really moving as well. And I think it really points to Cassian being able to forgive himself a little bit, you know, for not, for not being there, but also I, I think is make, makes moments in rogue one really touching to where a lot of that is obviously about Jen and her own journey with her own father. And the fact that 
Cassian is able to kind of speak truth to power in a way because of his relationship with his mother, um, I thought was was really moving. Yeah, and this is sort of this moment, this um, message that Marva has for Cassian is sort of the what I was referencing before with with Cassian's own sort of perception of himself being rusted over and being somewhat worthless um, mm. is that when when Brazo says um, Mar- Marva's last words to him or his message or her message to him was I love you more than anything you could do wrong is mm. one of those things where you think about this character who has been to prison multiple times we know that he's been to prison at least twice because he has a tattoo from one prison or a marking mm-hmm. uh, from one prison, uh, and we see him go to prison again. Um, yeah. The thing is, he didn't do anything wrong with that. Uh, he didn't do anything wrong to get him in prison the second time. But we know that, like, at at his core, Cassian is somewhat of, like, a bad kid, you know, he owes people money in town for doing things. He, you know, is very self-serving. He has participated uh, for money in something that has set off a chain of events uh, that has put the entire galaxy under, you know, in, in the scope of the of the Empire. Um, and he, like, feels like shit, honestly. Like, you have mm-hmm. to imagine that these things are all happening around him. Uh, and it, I think it's funny that all these people are kind of grouping together, meeting at the literal crossroads in Ferrix to come down on Cassian for his, his place in the, in the galaxy when he's just trying to make his way. He's just trying mm-hmm. to survive. And these things keep happening to him and he keeps getting himself involved in these things where to hear a mother say that, you know, that those things don't prevent him from being loved is one of those things that just endlessly, yeah. endlessly matters in Star Wars. It's, I, I, it's, I think it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Super moving stuff. Uh, it's just like one of the many things that makes the series as like emotionally complex as it is. And it's, it's something that like I point to and it's like, this is something that I would say is like mature you know, in star Wars. And I don't mean mature in that, like, Oh, I want to see Darth Vader force choke a child and then dismember (laughs) them in front of their, you know, Padawan master. Like that's not, no, that's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about like emotionally mature, complex ideas happening here. And this idea of guilt and making mistakes and being loved despite those mistakes and how those mistakes can like propel you forward and inspire you. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I think it's really great stuff. Uh, again, and one of the many things that the series is dealing with that just really surprised me with its complexity and its its depth. It's just, it's, yeah, so good. So good. Um, we also see the Time Grappler, which I didn't know was what they were called. I might have missed that, uh, a.k.a. the dude with the anvils and the hammers. Uh, he starts banging away, uh, setting up that this funeral is starting earlier than the Empire anticipated. Um, I think that this moment, as well as the 
the marching band, a Star Wars marching band, uh, you, you, you heard it here, <laughs> uh, is the very sound of a reckoning that we like saw earlier. Uh, this, this anvil happening, this procession being led through the city by none, none other than B2 e, uh, Emo, uh, just like being the absolute front of this uh, uh, entire procession that we're seeing here is the very manifestation of that reckoning that we we uh, talked about earlier this season uh the citizens all gather to hear a post-mortem message from marva where she talks about how the community has had this perceived luxury of ignoring the empire because of the pre-core um only to be awoken of their true terror once they kind of finally came pounding at their door um I thought this message in this entire sequence was, again, just super, super moving and really spoke to the importance of empathy. And just because you are not personally affected by oppression doesn't mean that one, you won't be, but two, that you shouldn't care. Um, This idea that once this power understands that they can and, and will oppress people that they can get away with it. They're going to come for other groups and they're going to come from other people, um, which I think is not only a very star Wars message, but a, a very real world message too. Um, I think it's, it's very political, not only in the discussions that are being had, uh, like verbal verbally in this episode, um, but also with like a lot of the imagery that we see in this episode too. the fact that the empire is wielding literal riot shields and we, we see them just, you know, just flagrantly and willingly, you know, shooting down citizens, uh, because of these riots. Um, I, I thought it was, was really, really move, moving and a great example of how, not just, you know, uh, pop culture and entertainment can help discuss real world uh, horrors and real world atrocities, but how Star Wars in particular is really adept at discussing uh, uh, how these oppressive forces operate and how they come to be and how, you know, uh, the citizens that, you know, are, are affected by these powers put them in place in a way and how it affects one another. Um, again, just really mature things happening here. Super moving. Just, I, I, I can't say enough about it. I know this is the, uh, this is like the, the second speech that we've had, um, this, this episode that like really just really hits. And I think that you're, you're absolutely right. That's not, I would hope that it's not lost on anybody that the, the visual importance of this goes beyond the ramifications of just this as a show. Um, and I think you're absolutely right with the, you know, with at least how, how far this, this reaches into our real world. Um, there's an interesting bit where, uh, as the funeral procession is sort of encroaching on what the empire has deemed, you know, allowed for them to do, the response is not the initial response is not, Hey, you're not supposed to do that or that's illegal or, you know, I don't like this, whatever the, the response is not, you know, to shut it down or to start killing people. The initial response is show of force. I want to show of force here. Like right now, it's that idea that, you know, as soon as, as soon as the empire, as soon as the oppressor, uh, begins to feel threatened, 
or begins to feel let's let's not even go let's not even give him enough credit to say feel threatened as soon as mm-hmm. the oppressor feels like they're not listened to and their their mm-hmm. directions are not obeyed they puff up they they make themselves look big right that's you know yeah. if the if the immediate reaction was all right that's it start blasting right if that was the reaction i don't think that it would I don't think that it would convey that as neatly. It still obviously works. It makes sense. But for the initial reaction of the Empire to be, I want to show a force here right now. So it's not just the idea that they that they want to immediately rain down what they perceive as justice. It's the idea that they want to cull this behavior by making themselves look big and scary. And that is so real that it it just boggles my mind that we are in a place where something like Star Wars can communicate that more effectively than most things in our real world. That's just, to me, it's it's one of those things that is eye-opening for me. I And like on a real note, I'm a white male that, you know, that lives in in a decent neighborhood and I don't interact with anybody in my community. I don't have friends that live here. I just go to work and I come back home and I make, you Mm -hmm. know, I make my, my chicken and rice for dinner and that's about it. You know, I don't, I don't live in that world. I can't possibly understand, but the fact that I can go and watch my favorite show and Mm -hmm. understand things that, that people feel that people are, you know, are trying to convey through this media is is a blessing it's something that i don't take for granted at this point and it's been it, it this entire series has been eye opening in a way that has really really moved me not to say that i was like what the police aren't all bad that's crazy and then i watched andor and i was like wow when you put it that way like no of course not like i'm not you know i'm not blind but this is one of those things that if you're a fan of this i would hope that those things aren't lost on you and it sort of is one of those things that hopefully weeds out the fans that say oh i can't really get down with this because it's speaking too much on these things that i don't want to hear sorry man mm-hmm. like that's that's on you you know anyways soapbox i'll put yeah. it away no worries like i i, I think it reminds me there's a, a i believe a roger ebert quote to where he described movies as empathy machines and although this is not a movie i i think the the sentiment still applies is that that movies or or television i i think is able to provide this unique experience to where it's audibly and orally able to put people in a position to where they are able to now maybe not experience firsthand, but get as about as close as you can get to experiencing this. Uh, And what I love about genre horror included is that it is able to package these messages in a complex way, in a unique way, in a way that potentially may be less obvious and is able to deliver these messages in a way that is not only able to excite you and enthrall you and, and, uh, amaze you even, but it also can really make you think about the, the horrors or, uh, you know, what plagues are or real world. I think that this series has been able to deliver that package in a, in a unique way that star Wars has, 
has not really attempted before in that this is maybe not delivering it with so much, not delivering like the message with so much, uh, you know, sugar, I guess delivering the, this medicine with so much sugar in that this isn't first and foremost, this whiz bang sci-fi adventure with blasters and lasers and all this cool stuff. It has been really character driven and thematic driven and, putting these characters in these positions to where they have to confront these truths, thus putting the audience in this position too. Uh, and I think having such, such on the nose imagery and, and I say that not as a negative, but in a way that it is inescapable what this series is trying to say, um, I, I think is, is great. And I, I think is again, those mature ideas that I think that star Wars can really benefit from having. It's one of those things too, that like, I watch this and I see it's obvious, but then I, I meet people or I just am reminded of when Watchmen, the HBO series came out and people are like, Ugh, quit making Watchmen political. And I'm like, <clears throat> what? Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, people say like, oh, I wish Star Wars would stop being so political. And I'm just like, oh, thank God. You just outed yourself as actively not engaging with star wars beyond yes. just the pew 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 again i think that this is something that george lucas has been interested in for a while uh i think that this is, this is just delivering it in a way that is more mature and i don't mean that as again lightsabers dismembering people or you know, pulling down a star destroyer with the force no i mean this as these are complex ideas these are these are ideas that we as a society as a country as a planet have to confront and i think that this is able to live to deliver it in such an enthralling way such an exciting way but is still i think first and foremost such a star wars way too so yeah just just so so good um the this this riot that happens is kind of incited by willem's throwing this bomb like we had mentioned but is protected by other members of his community um B2 emo is, is tipped over. I nearly th hit the roof. Noah. I was God. like, ah, oh, <laughs> I don't know if that was a thing that elicited that, that response out of you, but he, he was tipped over and I was like, Oh no, <laughs> no, it actually, Protect that, my son, <laughs> that was, that was like almost the thing, but that was definitely not the thing. Um, was it Brasso using Marva's brick as a fucking weapon and cracking <laughs> a guy over the head with it? Was it that? <laughs> no, it wasn't that, but honestly, like that happened. And I was like, um, I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need his own show. I'm, that's what I'm gonna yeah. need. Is I'm gonna need this guy. I, Why? Like, I, where is I, he? I want that black series figure. I want that three and three quarter with like brick smashing <laughs> action. Brick, yeah. I, yeah, I want a Funko Pop. Give me it all. Like, what a great, great moment. Yeah, we can talk about the the themes of this idea of using Marva's legacy as a, as a tool to take down oppressors. But then we could also talk about this guy took a brick and cracked an, <laughs> and cracked an Imperial soldier over the yes. head with it. It's so great. It's so uh, great. The, uh, the moment that elicited a physical gasp uh, from me was uh, as this riot sort of progresses. Um the time grappler just starts banging away again. Uh, yeah. And the Imperial officer guy is like, Hey, you take down that clock tower. And yeah. I lost it. And I was trying to explain this. Um, I was trying to explain this to my dad after we watched it, that that was the thing that like hit me the hardest out of this because Yes, you can see, you know, you can see this kid throwing a bomb and and they suddenly want to, you know, get this kid and he needs to be protected. Um, mm -hmm. Or you can see sort of the 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 people being 
you know, push back against these riot shields. To me, though, um, the the Imperial agent ordering the, uh, the I, what I thought was going to be like the destruction of this clock tower. I thought they were going to hop mm-hmm. in a turret and just blast it. Oh, no. To me, that's like, that's what I thought. And mm-hmm. in the, like my reaction in that was this is the point where this is the point in this riot where they like really cross the line where the the innocent annoyance is the thing that they target and or one of the things that they target where, yeah. you know, I'm I'm watching this and, you know, having a panic attack because the, the riot is so like tense and it's so like it's so destructive and so horrifying to watch. And then immediately mm-hmm. they're like, get him. I hate that. I hate that sound. That guy's annoying. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's making this worse. Shut it down. I was like, okay, the, the innocence of this, of this person, the civilian is what is the most important thing here. And their mm-hmm. reckless, the empire's recklessness and willingness to, you know, to go after, a person regardless right. of their involvement yeah. was to me, yeah. that was just crushing. So uh, yeah. glad though that he Spartan kicked a stormtrooper right off the tower. Exactly. Though. Yeah. I was so going to say, good. I was like, no, they, they sent up one uh, stormtrooper to climb the Rapunzel tower and he just kicks him <laughs> right in the forehead. So good. I was like, a great moment, but I was I was almost hoping that he would just hit him with the the hammers, oh, yeah, like of kind of uh, yeah. Mandalorian like style, clocked. Uh, yeah, just crack him over the head. But yeah, still another really great moment. Speaking of figures, though, I just want to mention like little tangent here. So frustrated that we can't buy Andor figures until next August of oh, 2023 what? what i know right those figures don't release until next august i want to get a luthan figure on my shelf i want a little luthan figure and if you go to buy one it, you can only pre-order them and they release next august what a what, what, a, what? what a scam no well, uh, completely ridiculous that is ridiculous i'll tell you this though your tangent reminded me of a small tangent uh i'm i'm uh, I've been gifted a 3D printer uh, as as an early Christmas present. That was the only thing that what? I wanted, um, nice. and I got a got a really great deal on one. And multiple times in this episode, I was like, "That's it! I want Andor's blaster. I want it. It's so dope." The little That's Dash Rindar it. looking gun. Yeah, did you yes, knew that yeah. that that was inspired by like the Dash Rindar gun? Yeah, I did. I did. Which don't care. It's Andor's. I want it. It's cool. <laughs> Star Wars cool. never heard I, of it. Shut up. <laughs> uh, uh, you'll you be sure to print me some cool stuff. Oh, I, I will. I, I'm I will. excited to see you tinker around with. That. I already that, have a really, list really going cool. of some of your some of my ideas for you. So don't <gasps> you worry, no your little head. I'm not worried at all, but I'm excited. Cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, speaking of worrying, uh, B2 Emo is uh, safely taken care of and, and safely escorted out of the city. So all is well uh, with B2. Lots of emotional moments with him in this series. He's just like, yeah, like he has a direct line to my heartstrings. What a guy. Um, uh, in the chaos, Deidre is also saved uh, by Cyril, though, uh, per- perhaps indebting him to her. Uh, we don't really know how that plays out. We'll have have to wait until season two of course uh but they're they're 
uh, kind of weird relationship just continues. Oh, yeah. uh, I thought they were going to kiss for a minute. I wasn't sure. I was like, Cyril, what are you doing, man? I don't know. <laughs> he's choking uh, is what he's the, doing. He's choking. Ridiculous. Oh, he my gosh. He, uh, in the, he couldn't close. No. Uh, but in the in this chaos as well, Luthen is shown fleeing, uh, uh, is, is back to his ship to where he tries to fly away. But he doesn't know, but is revealed that Cassian has been boarded on the ship uh, and he he kind of just hands Luthen his gun and he says, you can either kill me or you can bring me in. Uh, Luthen smirks in the episode ends. Uh, but before it ends, we are uh, shown a post credit scene. I don't know if you saw this uh, to where the Death Star is being constructed with the very pieces that Cassian helped to build. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to get your kind of thoughts on this final moment with Cassian and Luthen. Luthen, but also the post-credit scene uh, for the series or for the season more more likely. So, Luthen's last sort of his moments here, especially when he's when he's sort of fleeing uh, uh, Ferrix, is really interesting to me because he just has this air about him that this is like this is what he wanted, and he's mm-hmm. like not sad about it, which I, you know the more that we get to know this character, the more I'm like, ooh, this guy. This guy, he he deserves a reckoning. He deserves a reckoning, but not yet because I still like him. I still like Stellan, Sar- uh, Stellan Skarsgård, and I still want to see more yeah. of him. But um, this conversation, this brief conversation that Cassian has with with Luthen, um, one of one of two ways for me, and I had this conversation with with my with my dad uh, when when. Cassian says you can either kill me or take me in. Um, I want to get your opinion on this first. Um, and then I'll, you know, go into what, what I'm thinking. But, um, did you take this as like, you can either kill me or you can turn me into the empire or did you take it as you can either kill me or you can take me into the fold of your group and I want to help the rebellion more what 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 did you no, think? I, I i took it uh, like take me in like take me in under your wing like okay bring me up i want to be a part of this i think that he doesn't really have much to to go home to i think that he understands that like the empire took away his opportunity to have his final moments with his mother and because of that, I think that that was kind of like the final straw mm-hmm. to he is like, I, I think this entire series and we've talked about multiple times has been building to him eventually being pushed to the point that he wants to join this rebellion. And I think that this was the final moment that he is like, enough is enough. I'm joining. Yes, I, I, I agree. Okay. So because we had this conversation um, and there was a little bit of confusion. I mean, I, I guess it could go either way, but the sure. his reaction here, Luthen's reaction here, is one that I it makes the, it makes sense that that this is the option that that Cassian gives him because the only reason that Luthen wanted to kill Cassian was that he was untrustworthy, and the part that he played was out of desperation. It was out of self-preservation. It was not out of belief, but the fact that the fact that he has sort of, sort of watched, or at least knows of Cassian's involvement in, you know, in these things bleeds him to realizing that Cassian has grown quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and 
that, you know, the reality is, I, I guess the most non-subtle way to put it is the reality is that Cassian could have packed up his things and been gone. He could have just mm-hmm. kept going. He could have just kept running. But he took the time to come back and then took the time to confront Luthen. He didn't just, again, he didn't just skip town, which would yeah. be something that would be characteristic of Cassian, you know, in episode one. Uh, so we've come a long way. And I think that that's, that's sort of the understanding here, which I think is really, even though it just sort of ends, I think that that's really well communicated, um, which is just great. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think it's definitely this, this final, you know, propulsion of Cassian into the rebellion, which is what we will see in next season. Presumably. I think that this entire season has been building to him, uh, being inspired by others, uh, knowingly or otherwise. I think Nimic is a part of that. I think Kino Loy is a part of that. I think Marva is a part of that. I think that his father is a part of that. And really seeing, like we were talking about, this shaking off of the rust to where he is eventually like, no, I am a part of this. Seemingly, whether I liked to be or not, it came to me. It knocked on my door. And now I am awake, as Marva would kind of uh, uh, phrase it as. So, yeah, I think that that's what we, what we will eventually see. Uh, I am just curious if the blaster was actually loaded or not i like to think that it was i think that cassian is like you know if i'm going to give myself all to this i want to make sure it's somebody that will actually have my best interest and if i die i guess i die but uh i don't know do you do you think that there were did did that cross your mind that where he actually gave him a loaded blaster um i absolutely think that it's it's a hot weapon uh i'm there's no doubt in my mind uh especially not just because of not just because of Diego Luna's performance uh, of mm-hmm. that of that conversation, but the fact that outside of outside of a constant line of work, I guess if you mm-hmm. want to call it that, Cassian keeps running into trouble and is not he's not able to protect himself just by himself on the run, and I think he understands that. And the the reality is that he knows that the people that he cares about are safe uh, and the rest of them are gone. Um, and that's it for him. That's it. So there has mm-hmm. to be something else that he can devote himself to after having crossed paths, like you said, with someone like Nemec and Kino Loy. And that continues to build and build to the point where it's the obvious choice. It's not, it's not the only choice where in episode yeah. one, that was the only, that was his only option. Right. But now it's the obvious option, which I think is, like I said, very well communicated. I think that that's totally the case here that he is willing to, he is willing to, to die and let that all go. Or, you know, his only continuation that he sees, uh, as reasonable is with the rebellion. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I am in full agreement there. Echo everything that you just said. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts before we close here on kind of the final moments of this episode, the post credit scene being the construction of the death star, uh, with those very pieces that Cassian helped to build. Uh, very, very cool stuff. Um, I, I love a little tease. I don't think that it's too like, I don't think that it's too fan servicey. I think that it makes the most sense. Um, you know, Everybody that that has watched the show has wondered what the heck are they building. I feel like it just had to naturally lead to something like that. Um, what's hilarious to me is that in the in the composition of this short little scene, um, we see the scale of these pieces and the fact that these pieces are being placed uh, and affixed to the Death Star 
by droids, um, which is just hilarious that it's like, you know, the empire needs all these tiny, tiny, tiny pieces to all come together. And that's the reason for something like all the prison labor, um, is that all of these little pieces need to fit together, um, to work. But I do think that the, the really cool thing here, um, is upon zooming out, uh, and seeing the scale of this, the framing of the death star and its main reactor weapon, uh, is, is identical to Andor's, like the show's opening credits or opening title, I guess, um, with the symbol above Andor's name. Uh, it's sort of framed the exact same way, which I think is very interesting. That's just a cool thing. Um, there's obviously plenty to talk about that, you know, Cassian's hands built the very thing that would end up being the death of him. Mm-hmm. I think that that's not nearly as important as the fact that he also had a hand in, you know, in destroying the thing that took away so much of his life. Um, and that affected him so, so greatly is that he did end up having a hand in that. I think that that's more important than the fact that he gets killed by it when that's the obvious connection, but still all around very cool. Love a little tease like that. Yeah. Just cool stuff. Yeah, I, I think I, I would have been fine not knowing. I'm fine knowing. Um, I think it's a reveal that's like, oh, okay, cool. Anyway, you know, like there are yeah, conversations yeah. to be had about like the thematic importance of it. Again, like him building the very thing that ended up killing him. Like that's pretty obvious. Um, I think, I don't know. I, I think there is an appeal to it being something like less significant. I think that that could be interesting. Is I, I talked about like this is some small little piece of, you know, some conveyor belt at the Death Star Cafeteria or something you know just ridiculous like uh but i also think that it is horrifying in a way of like what are the other pieces of in the other prisons that the empire is using to construct other things like atat parts or you know what have you uh so yeah i think that there's a thematic importance to it i think it's an interesting teaser good call though about the title sequence that's not something that i i picked up on um but yeah i think it's a reveal that is uh was was surprising i honestly didn't stay for the post credit scene i had to go back afterwards and watch it um so yeah i'm i'm fine knowing i'm fine knowing if this is what the uh, uh, the mystery is, I, I think it's not, it's not too bad of an answer. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, I could think of some things that would, that would deepen it a little bit. Um, but either way, yeah, it doesn't really, doesn't really change that much. I, I think it's glad, I'm glad that, that this isn't something that is called attention to for Cassian. It's not something like, you know, oh my goodness, a big, a big, Walker just burst into the burst into Ferrix and and it's it's got the things on it and oh my goodness sure. you know that yeah. that to me I'm I'm more happy that this is something that is just we know because that's cool um but you know the people that the, the hands that made it will never know they'll never they'll never make that connection um, totally that that works for me yeah yeah um, any final thoughts, Noah, on the series, or I guess I keep saying series, the season finale of uh, uh, Andor before we uh, close and and uh, tease our, our next episode? I, I know you don't want to give too much away because we do have a, a very full discussion coming next week about our entire thoughts on the on the season one as a whole. But any final thoughts on this episode in particular? Yeah, I'm just happy. I'm just happy. There's so yeah, there's there's going to be so much 
to endlessly talk about this. This is like my main feeling is this show is going to be coming up in a lot of my conversations uh, mm-hmm. for years to come. I know I said in yeah. 20 years, I'll forget that Luthen had lasers on his spaceship. Um, but I will not forget about the importance of this show. And that's that yes. on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday was uh, very f- uh, filling uh, as far as like the food that we ate, of course, but I felt full as a Star Wars fan. Mm, I'll tell yummy. you that much. Yummy. Uh, definitely some big conversations to be had in the future about this series, and I'm very excited to have them. Uh, but in the meantime, Noah, do you want to wrap it up and take us home? For sure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. We hope you learned something today. If there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover, you can head over to our Twitter and shoot us a message at Pod. But for now, this has been Scum and Villainy with Noah DeGeorge. And Gary McDowell. And may the force be with you. We'll see you next time. See you guys.